You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. We are continuing in our series this morning, The Mission of God's People. And this morning we'll be looking at how uh, we are the people who represent God to the world. It's important for Christians to remember that we are part of God's great story of redemption. Uh, When we look at the Bible, we need to see it as redemptively historical, meaning that the story of God uh, is, is how he saves that which is broken, and this story now that we are uh, all a part of is, has, has started in the beginning and will continue on. Sometimes, though, we, we lose track of what story we're in, and I'm reminded of a, a movie that my wife and I actually recently re-watched. Uh, you may be familiar with it. It's called Inception. Uh, without going into too much detail to familiarize yourself with a little bit some of the concepts, uh, the main character is able to get into people's dreams, and then uh, in these dreams, time moves slower, but then now he's able to get into like the dream inside of a dream, inside of a dream, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's one of those ones that messes with your mind. Uh, you get the idea. Also, this movie came out a decade ago, so if you're yelling at the screen right now saying, spoiler alert, you've had your time. I'm sorry. Basically, the danger of being in a dream or a dream of, of a dream is that you, you, you begin to lose track of reality. Uh, because time moves slower, you, you begin to lose track of which dream that you're in, and, and this is a danger. So they carry these objects, if you will, called totems that will indicate to them whether or not they're in a dream or not, because losing track of time can ultimately be deadly. Losing track of reality of the greater story for us is not uncommon. We're forgetful people. We get distracted really quickly. We get overwhelmed, and then boom, all of a sudden, we are facing a different direction, we are doing a different thing, and we lose track of where we are and what we are supposed to be doing. And it is especially important that in the midst of uncertainty, we are reminded of the story that we are in, the redemptive historical work of God. Wouldn't it be nice for us to to have a totem, something that we could make sure that we are on track with the story being a part of what God has ultimately been doing from history past to history present. Thankfully, in God's providence, he's given us something even greater than a little totem, a little object. He has given us the Holy Scriptures to remind us of the true reality, the true story of God. Specifically, we get to see and hear what God is calling us to, reminding us of what we are truly a part of. So let's go now to this book that we love. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, in verses 3 through 6. You can follow along in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. Exodus 19, 3 through 6 says this, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called out to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. 
Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, who has spoken to your people throughout history, guiding them to yourself, speak even now to us that we may be reminded of you, that we may be reminded that we are yours, that through Jesus Christ, your only son, who on our behalf counted the cost, lived, suffered, and died, and rose again for the propitiation of our sins. Remind us now that your work on earth is not done. Use us now, O Christ. Amen. In these days, I don't know about you, but for me, there, there's been like this cloud that has kind of set over me of, of, of both uncertainty and anxiety and, and a sense of just kind of what do we do now? Um, and, and whenever you're stuck in a cloud of uncertainty, it is so helpful to gain new perspective. In, verse, in verses four through six, God gives Moses a new perspective. He gives a new perspective in three directions, which we'll look at today. He points back to Israel's recent past graces. He points forward to his future grace for his people, and he points to the present grace that they are experiencing. And in every direction, we find God's grace at work. God brings this reality to Moses and tells him to tell the people these things because they need to hear the great story of God and be reminded that they are a part of that story. First, he points to their past grace. Look with me in verse four. He says, and he says, and he says to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. It had only been three months since the Israelites had left Egypt, leaving their oppression, leaving the, the people who had enslaved them, making their way through God's miraculous intervention, literally uh, making a way when there was no way, be, being stuck between the, the oncoming Egyptians and the great sea. Cause it, God caused the sea to be parted and for them to walk over on dry land, moving earth so that his people could, could be free, leaving their captors to be consumed by the same way in which they received their freedom. Three months had passed, and God tells them to remember, because forgetfulness has set in. We read a passage such as this, we can think to ourselves, how could they forget? How could they forget God's goodness? It's only been three months. He literally split the sea open. He, we, we'd seen 10 plagues to get them out of Egypt. How could these people forget God's goodness? How could they forget God's works? And yet here we are, seven weeks, eight weeks into a quarantine, and I don't know about you, but I'm starting to forget 
starting to forget God's goodness. And so God tells Moses, tell my people to remember. Remember what I have done. Remember what God has done for you. For it is good and right for us to remember what Christ has saved us from. It is good for us to remember what Christ has done for you. Think, reflect, bring to mind where God has taken you from and what he has brought you to. Dear brothers and sisters, let us not rob Christ of the honor due his name by forgetting his goodness. How quickly we can attribute our current state to our own making and forget that he has brought us this far. Christ has miraculously taken you as if to place you on eagle's wings and to deliver you out of some sort of like hobbit-filled adventure, right? Nearing destruction. The volcano is about to blow. And all of a sudden, God's grace swoops in and rescues us. Christ has done great works in you and in me. He has saved you who were far off. He has persevered you who were perishing. He has sustained you who were all out of effort. He has healed you who were sick. He has restored you who were broken. He has taken the rebel and made him again a son. And he has taken the self-righteous and made him truly righteous. All by his grace. Remember from where you came. And remember who brought you this far. He has overcome the one true pandemic, which is sin, and has given us the one true vaccine, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has done these things, these past graces, and they are part of Israel's story, and they are part of your story. And we are called to remember. But he doesn't just have them look back. He doesn't just have them look back to that moment. He pushes them forward. He says there's a future grace for you. God continues on. Look with me in verse 5. He speaks to their future. He tells them who they will be as his people. It says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. This future grace for the people of promise is positional. It is not because of something that they did. Look with me at that second half of that verse. You shall truly be my treasured possession among all the people. The word here for treasured possession is segula, and it's a word for something that is so highly valuable, something that you would take and you would put in a lockbox, you would, you would take to the bank and put behind a vault. It is something that you would treasure and take care of because it is of so much value to you. And this is how he is speaking of his people. Those who obey God will ultimately see that it is only Christ who could obey God's law perfectly and respond in faith. There is a future grace for the people of God. There is a future hope of how God will set his people apart in all of the earth. He will make them unique. He will call them out to be specific, and he will make a way for them to even be that people. And this future grace has two implications for us First, this future grace would be through a people, and second, it would be to a people. 
that God would use his creation to teach others the covenant God would make with his people. There is a grace for those who obey and make disciples. We get to be a part of future graces, future experience of God's grace. There's a great grace and joy for those who make disciples, baptizing and shepherding. I know for me, as I've been able to experience those things, I look at those things as such great joys to be a part of, knowing that of who I am, and that God would allow me to be a part of some of those things. And many of you can speak to the same truths. For us as Christians to look at a future grace, to know that we get to be a part of furthering on God's promises to people is such a great joy that we get to part, be a part of. It is a future grace. As we live this life, we get to be the agents God uses to make himself known. That is incredible. Like, why would God use me? Why would God use us? We look back at where he's taken us from, and we can ask the question very simply, God, why would you do that? People don't just miraculously pop up uh, like, like, uh, like some kind of whack-a-mole game. Uh, all of a sudden, hey, I, I want to I believe in Jesus with having no contact and no understanding and no perspective on who God is. No, they become Christians because of a follower of Jesus who has been able to give testimony to, has been able to share the word with, and the work of the Spirit. That's how this happens. By God's grace, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of the perpetuation of God's redemptive work on the earth. And thanks be to God that these people's salvation, my salvation, people that I get to disciple salvation, is not founded on me. For those of you who have young children, let me just take a moment right now to, to speak to you. I know these days are tough, tougher for some than others. I know you're really feeling the weight of these days and wondering if you've just ruined your child's future. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it feels like that. Friends, there is grace for you. Christ is faithful. He is able. He sees you. He knows you in your frailty. He knows you and he loves you. He loves you in your, your failures and your successes. Trust him and trust him with your children. Lead with humility, and when you screw up, as we will all make serious, gravest mistakes, um, he is faithful. He is faithful and just. And he will work these things to good, for your good, for your growth. Um, it, is, it is so easy for us to, to lose track in these days of, of what is right and good and, and wondering if we're doing everything right. Um, and I just want to encourage you as parents that God is good and he is faithful. Uh, these days will not define you or your children. Uh, Christ has done that. He has defined these things for us. Um, so if you screw up, go, go to your children, ask for forgiveness, and tell them why you're asking for forgiveness because you have been a recipient of grace. That will speak louder and longer than any lesson that you'll be able to communicate to them about math or spelling or anything like that. And if they grow up and they do not follow Christ, they will know that their parents love Jesus and believe Jesus. 
and believe that what Jesus has said has impacted their lives. Trust him now uh, in these moments. This is the future grace that we get to experience. Our faith doesn't rest in our ability to do things perfectly or be perfect. Our faith believes in a future grace, a future grace to people which will also one day, either by death or by Jesus' return, see the fullness of grace in heaven with Jesus. That one day the sins that so easily entangled our physical bodies will no longer entangle our spiritual bodies. That we will be free of every physical hindrance, every cancer, every chronic illness, every pandemic. That we will walk in the joy of our master, free from sin and free from death. That one day soon we will experience a peace that we couldn't even imagine. That is a future grace that we hold on to as, as God's people. This is what we look forward to. This is the hope that we have. Remember the future graces. And be reminded of these words in Romans 8. I'll share with you. Listen carefully. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the future grace, but it's also a present grace. And this is the hardest part, I feel like, uh, to navigate is the present grace. We can look back, we can look forward, but to see the present grace right now is difficult. Look with me in verse 6 says this, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Lord was in this phrase showing his people who had been in Egypt for over 400 years, who had experienced the passing of many generations, who currently may or may not have been waiting on the promises of God because they were so uh, caught up in their own current circumstance but they were still God's called out people because that's the promise that he made to them. That was theirs, not because of their actions, but because of who God is. He's a promise keeper. Israel would be from, from slaves to a nation that would be set apart, would be holy, that would, would ultimately see the Messiah come through them. They were a special people. And in fact, their actions up to this point would cause many of us to question whether or not taking them out of Egypt was a good idea or not. Up to this point, God has delivered them through ten plagues, the opening of the sea, them going through, collapsing the sea on the Egyptians, taking them into the desert, and so many times they come back and they say, God, we're hungry. You've taken us out of Egypt. We had food in Egypt. It was, it was good food. It was easy food, but now you've brought us here in the desert. God, have you brought us here to die? And God gave them sweet bread that would show up in the morning and give them food and give them sustenance. And then they would come to another point and they would say, God, have you brought us out here to the desert to die of thirst? We are thirsty. We have nothing to drink. And he would provide water from a rock. 
and they would get water, and they have food. And then for some reason, maybe some of them turned gluten-free, and now all of a sudden, they need protein. He said, they said, God, have you brought us in the desert that we may not have protein? My diet has changed, and I need some protein. I need some more sustenance. And he provided for them quail, for them to eat and to enjoy. And this is just a picture of God's constant and consistent long-suffering for his people. He, his grace was not just yesterday, and it will not just be some future version of it. No, this grace is for today. It is for us, and it is for the whole world. We don't believe in a deistic God that has set things in motion and has walked away. No, we believe in Emmanuel, God with us. Therefore, people should see and experience God's grace right now when they interact with God's people. That's what the whole kingdom of priests thing is all about. A priest is a representative of God. It is someone who would literally sacrifice on behalf of God's people to God. Now, we're not called to sacrifice animals because the one true sacrifice of Jesus Christ had accomplished all that was necessary. But we are called to live sacrificial lives, leveraging our lives through acts of mercy so that others may know him and know him crucified and risen. We are a kingdom of priests. We also will intercede for people. As an abiding people, people who abide in Christ, we are sent out to hear, to feel, to touch, and, and experience this world that we live in, which will cause us to weep and lament, but it will also cause us to rejoice and, for, and to care for those who we reach out to. We can't intercede for people we are unaware of. If, as, as people who are connected to the true vine, the branches would never get their job done if they retreated back into the trunk of the tree. We are called out, to be out, to, to soak up everything that we can because we're connected to the true vine of Jesus Christ. So as, as we live as a kingdom of priests, we also live as a holy nation, because we are representatives, and these representatives act in a manner of whom they represent. A people set apart for God's own possession would live as such. It would be foolish for the son of a king to denounce his throne knowing that he has everything he ever needs. And yet some of us have. I've watched the crown. I, I get it. This means, though, that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We find joy in similar things, but our praise in our joy does not expire on those things our praise goes up beyond those things to the triune God who made them, sustained them, and gave them as good gifts to us. And when we fail, and we will fail, our failures, our sin, does not define us, but they are paid for through the blood of Christ who rules and reigns. He restores and he redeems. We are holy not because we get it right, we are holy because of our position in Christ, who is righteous. And we live lives of obedience and faith as a holy nation because of what Christ has done. 
And as we are reminded of the story that we are a part of, we look back to what Christ has done in our lives. We look forward to what he will do and what we will get to be a part of, and we will live lives as God's people in this world now, as people who represent God to the world through faith, through hope, and love. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for how quickly we forget. Grant to us grace upon grace that we may remember and because we remember that we would live, therefore, as recipients of costly grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.